Uh, guys, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, hopefully I can redeem the service. Um, and so before we get started, I would love to just pause and pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Um, thank you that you're here with us. Um, thank you that you can use anything um, to speak to us. And so, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? We invite your spirit in. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So, be honest with yourself when I ask you this question. Who of you was shocked by the way I just spoke about the band? <laughs> Anybody outraged? Anybody angry? Like, oh my gosh, that is not Vicky. Hopefully, most of you would know that I would never or hopefully never say something like that to someone. But I want you to just quickly hang on to that feeling, to that like shock or outrage or disbelief or anger or whatever that little moment was for you. And I want to bring it back later. So, um, my name's Vicki. If some of you haven't met me yet, my name's Vicki, and I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Um, and I want to share with you something that I, I do really believe that God's been speaking to me. And um, not all of you might know this, but the Bible actually contains uh, a bit of a medical discovery, which is kind of cool. Um, it's pretty significant, actually. It's a heart condition, interestingly. Uh, this condition is actually very far from rare. Um, in fact, it is um, a very widely known and experienced medical condition. In fact, it impacts every single human being on this planet except for one. Every single one of us in this room shares the same sickness, the same heart condition. Not one of us is immune. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The heart of children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. They are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And this is our disease, the one that we all suffer from, a hard heart. And yet, the Bible also says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. How can we possibly achieve what the Bible calls us to when it perfectly outlines our current condition, that we are evil, that we have hard hearts? How could we possibly reach that picture that God's called us to? I think some clarity can be found by looking at the story of Jonah. So if you want to flip there with me, you can. Um, most of you will know, like, the general story of Jonah. You know, God called him, he ran away to Tarshish, got on a boat, was thrown off the boat, eaten by a whale, sped up by the whale, actually did go to Nineveh and preached to the people. And what I want to focus on today is the last section of the story of Jonah, um, chapter 4. Jonah's response after he preaches to the people of Nineveh. So it says this. <clears throat> when God saw their deeds, 
the people of Nineveh, that they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better for me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when on dawn the next day came, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better for me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion for the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? Now, there's a ton of stuff that we can, like, pull from this section. But one thing in particular that I pull from this is that it is possible to be a believer, a lover of God, and experience his amazing miracles in your life and still suffer from a hard heart. Evil thoughts, disobedience, vindictive plans. In other words, a non-compassionate Christian. So why was Jonah like that? We actually see Jonah one other time in the biblical storyline, a little bit earlier. He pops up real quick, and what you see of him is that he actually gives a false prophet to a very powerful king. And then another prophet's like, no, that's wrong. But anyways, when we actually get to the story in the book of Jonah, readers should know, oh, this is a prophet with some pretty significant character flaws. Jonah accepted the thought that God was only for his chosen people. So when he was told to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of a northern enemy kingdom, it was so obviously outside of God's chosen people that it made him angry. And he didn't want to go. He couldn't believe that God loved them. He didn't want them to know God the way he knew God. He didn't want them to have what God gave him. He just couldn't believe it was for them. One author wrote a little poem on behalf of Jonah. This is Jonah's mentality. We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. And so the outward evidence 
of Jonah's life is a complete lack of compassion. And from his story, we should pull out and we should live by one major truth, which is what I want you to hear and take away and apply to your life. That compassion should never be restricted. Jonah believed that compassion should be restricted. And this is exampled in his life when he ran to Tarshish, which he didn't run because he was afraid. He ran because he didn't want the people of Nineveh to be saved. We see this when he preached the sermon when he finally did get to Nineveh. It was five words. And it didn't include anything about their sin, about how to repent, or even about God himself. We see that Jonah believed that compassion should be restricted when after he preached and the entire city was converted, even the cows and all of the animals fasted and prayed for their sins. After this amazing miracle, Jonah leaves the city by himself doesn't physically save anyone, and goes out and sits there and waits for God to destroy the city. Because even after this amazing miracle, he still thinks that God's compassion and love should be restricted. On the opposing side, God shows us that compassion should never be restricted. Over and over and over again in Israel's story, God saves his people, and then they rebel. And then he saves them, and they turn to other gods. And then he saves them, and they return to their wicked ways. It's like a little bit of whiplash. And yet, and it's even actually highlighted very well in Hosea, where God tells Hosea to return to his unfaithful wife and tell her and and confess to her how much he loves her. And that's an example of God's like covenant love for his people. It says in Hosea 11, my people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admam? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is changed within me. All of my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. When God should have been at his angriest with his people, who broke the covenant relationship, when they cheated on God, like he should have left. He should have punished them. He should have been angry. And yet we see that he was moved by this deep compassion and did not restrict his love. That he went back to the unfaithful and showed them how much he loved them. Jesus also shows us that compassion should not be restricted. In Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went out to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And again in Matthew 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Not everyone in these crowds were believers. Not all of them knew Jesus as their personal savior. They were following him because they were so desperate for healing, so desperate for something more in their lives. 
And when Jesus saw a large mass of people who did not know who he was and the life that they could have through him, he felt such deep compassion for them because they were lost. They were sheep without a shepherd. And in the exact same way, you and me experience the same compassion of God, the same love that at our worst, he gave that to us. He extended forgiveness and salvation, even though we don't deserve it. If compassion should never be restricted, then we should be God's first responders. Compassion is easy when it is very obviously needed, like when a friend is crying or someone's going through a hard time. It's so easy when it's obviously needed. God is calling us to a deep, true compassion where our first response might be anger or outrage or shock, but yet our actual response is from this place of compassion. I think in our culture, there's this tendency to react with outrage. We can easily feel justified with the caption that we write or the hatred and abuse towards individuals or certain people groups. I've been watching as we've been digitally crucifying people for their mistakes. And the world is saying it too. We look at people that are sinning, that are doing wrong things, and we hold it up in their face and we say, you did this. You deserve what's coming to you. How dare you? And I just question how those who are living in their sin, having not yet experienced God's love, will. If our first response is outrage. You might have felt shocked or angry or like outraged at the way I spoke to the band. And you might be shocked and angry and outraged at what's happening in our current culture right now or around the world. And that's okay. That's actually good. Our hearts are supposed to be stirred up by injustice. But we are not the ultimate administers of God's justice here on this earth. That God is actually calling us to a deep compassion for our enemies. Because they don't know their right hand from their left. They're so far from the truth, from freedom, from the life that God has for them. And that should impact us so that our actual response is compassion to them. Their sin on display, even though it might offend us, it's actually supposed to lead us to this place where we can deal with them with compassion because they're lost, they're sheep without a shepherd. Now it's important to know that showing compassion to those who are sinning and lost doesn't endorse their sin. Consequences still exist, but showing compassion to those who don't deserve it, who might be on the outside, is countercultural and the way that Jesus modeled it for us. 
In Exodus 34, um, we actually see the very first time where God describes his own character. And he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I have to believe that the first time that God describes himself, that he chooses compassion and love and forgiveness, that's got to mean more to us. That's got to be the way that we are described to people, that people would describe us. It's kind of funny because in the story of Jonah, he actually quotes back God's description of himself to God as his excuse for running away. He says, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are, grac- you are a gracious God and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew this about God, and yet his heart was so hardened to his own selfish concepts and ideas and judgments and desire for his own version of justice that he was so blinded by God's great compassionate love. Then he asked God to kill him because he can't stand it. And he actually shows more compassion for a plant that was alive for 24 hours than an entire city of 120,000 people. I read to you the last chapter of Jonah. Like, that's where the story ends. Jonah's never redeemed. His story just ends. And when we read the book of Jonah, we're actually supposed to read it and look at it as a mirror, reflecting back to us our worst character traits. Because this is in all of us. This is our sickness. So it magnifies the worst in us. And then it also magnifies the great extent of God's compassion. The question then really becomes, are you okay with God loving your enemies? Because that's what Jonah could not accept. But then Jesus takes it one step further in Matthew 5, And he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that can only come from a deep place of compassion, that you are so sinful, you are so lost, you are so missing out on what God has for you, that I have compassion for you. Ultimately, we are doomed to a life of desire, a life of self-satisfaction, a life of rebellion, Our fleshiness is always going to be here. We'll always be in danger. There's no cure for our evil hearts, but there is medicine. Most of the time, the most powerful thing that we can do is pray. And the prayer covenant that we've been walking through should change us. This week's is, Lord, empower me to love others the way you love me. And that's so big. That has no exceptions, no limits. It vetoes our preference. 
It vetoes our judgments. It vetoes our thoughts. And really it becomes, God, empower me to love others the way you love Jonah. Because Jonah was supposed to be a man of God doing God's work. And yet he was so far from doing what God asked him to do. It was hard to love, and yet God loved him. Our world needs all of your compassion to be aroused for the people that deserve the gospel the least. To guard your heart from becoming offended or angry or outraged or hard, and instead pursue compassion dealing with people with compassion because how else will they ever come to know the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of Christ if all we do is the same thing that the world does that says, look at what you did, you deserve it. When instead Christ says, I forgive you. I feel so compassionate for you that you're so broken. Come and let him forgive you and wash compassion and grace over you. We need a world of compassion first responders. It's, <clears throat> it's backwards and it's upside down and it's not the way we're used to responding. But it's what our world needs right now. It's what we need for our own sickness to keep our hearts from going hard. And it's the exact prescription of what every sinner needs. They need to experience you extending the compassion of Christ so that they can actually be invited into a relationship with him and allow God's justice to be served as he would see it served, but that you're his instrument of compassion. And so I want to invite the band up. Um, and what we're actually going to do is just sit for a few moments, and I just want you to pray the prayer for this week. Lord, empower me to love others the way that you love me. And feel the weight of how big that is. And so you can start now. You can close your eyes. You can do what you need to do. to love others the way that you love us and by your spirit would you speak to us how big that is how monumental that is Lord help us to be different in our response to sinners help us to be so overwhelmed with compassion that our response might be an invitation to your love we trust you to continue to do a good work in us. Thank you for the compassion that you extended to us. May we continue to extend it when it's hard. Amen. And we're going to end with a song of worship. And so if you'd like to stand and worship along with the band, that would be wonderful. Thank you.